Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Goodness, it is good to be with you. I didn't know what today would look like. It's one thing uh, living in the city uh, of Casey and not really knowing what, what people are, are thinking about and feeling today of, of whether they want to get out or just stay home. And then it's another thing to add the snow on top of it, right? Uh, and so if you, you braved the snow, thank you so much. Hopefully uh, your neighborhood was safe. Uh, I know ours can get a little sketchy at times, but the main roads were good. So if you are home because of the snow. There is no shame in that. We're thankful that you would join us online. Uh, But if you're here, uh, maybe new this morning, maybe you haven't been in a while, my name is Greg McKinney. My wife and I are the lead pastors here at Glory Church. You can call me, uh, oh gosh, uh, woo! Uh, you could call me Greg, you could call me Pastor Greg, you can call me, hey, glasses face, I don't care. I will answer, I want to get to know you. Uh, yes, you can call me whatever. I'd love to get to know you. We have um, deemed this place as a family. And if you were here last week with us, you know that we fully believe that everyone belongs at the table and uh, belongs whether they believe yet or not, uh, because we are going to treat them like they are God's kids. We are going to treat them like they have intrinsic value and uh, our prayers that they meet the Savior that has changed us. But maybe you're here today and you you don't know really anything about Christ or Jesus. I'm I'm just excited to have you. Um, I, I got a little sentimental with our team, and uh, many of you do not know this, if you were with us post um, us launching Glory Church, but a year ago on Super Bowl Sunday, we sat in the community room up in the YMCA and had communion for the first time as a core team. It was the week before we launched the church. All of us were just as nervous as ever before. Um, It was a small group of us, and, and we just... We just set it up for the first time. We, we got it all, all our ducks in a row. I was stressed out. If you want to see stressed out Greg, that was, that was me last year. Um, but I am honored. It was a, such a memorable moment to just have communion with our team. Just to know that, hey, next week we're going to be here, and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if very many people will come, but we're going to be here, and we're going to be here every week after that. And so I'm pretty excited. Uh, That's what we're going to press into this morning because what I know next week is uh, we're celebrating our birthday as Glory Church. And I'm pretty excited. Uh, If you heard, we're going to have some fun things. I hope that you join us. I hope that you get in your mind that this is a place that's not just for you, but a place that is for your your family. This is a place that is for your coworkers, a place that's for your friends, your neighbors. And so I just want to challenge you with something. What if this week, are you ready? This week you got really honest about what God has done in year one of Glory Church for you. And then got, got, allowed that transformation to compel you to say, what could year two mean for my neighbor? Does that make sense? What did God do in year one for me? I mean, maybe for some of you, you found a community, a family. Maybe for some of you, you realized that, that Christianity was real. Maybe for some of you, you saw that the church was not this stoic place, but a place that fed, the place that healed, a place that helped. 
Maybe you met Jesus this year. What God did in year one for you, what would it be like for you to allow that invite for God to do something like that or more tenfold in year two for a friend? I mean, I'm believing great things. We had 11 people get baptized. We've had 13 people give their life to Christ this past year. And I'm, I'm believing more for this next year. Yeah, that's something to, be, to celebrate. Yeah. I believe God is doing something. And I'm really excited to press in on that next week. Um, but this morning, you made it. You, you tackled the snow. And we are concluding this series, the This Isn't It series. And I hope that you have been stretched. I hope that you have, have dove into it just as much as I, I have tried this, this past month. But the whole hope, the heart behind it was that there are countless interactions in the Gospels where Jesus is talking with someone and in his own way, right, I've said this weekly, in his own way, he says, hey man, or hey lady, how are you doing this? How you see yourself? How you're viewing my people? How you're viewing the outcasts? How you view giving? How you view my church, my kingdom? How you view success? This isn't it. And constantly, interaction after interaction, Jesus came to bring a clearer picture. And the world loves to change how we view ourselves. The world loves to define and mess up what to do with our money. Or the world loves to mess up the word success. But constantly, Jesus has has stepped into the scene and said, hey, this isn't it. It's not all that it could be, all that it should be. And so if you've missed a week, You can always find it on our website, and I would love, I mean, they've been foundational to sort of the culture I want to set here at Glory Church. Um, I want this place to be a place that is different, a place that that you can clearly feel the presence of Jesus, and that you can see that there are people who are welcoming here. And so if you missed a message, you can find it on our website. If you're a podcast lover, some of you are the audio, audio people, I can't take it. I'm sorry. I've tried on the long roads. But if you love the, the podcasts, you can just type in Glory Podcast in the app and you'll find it. Um, But I would love for you to get in on it. Um, It's been a perspective change for me. We talked last week about how um, our definition of belonging, who belongs here, will really either hurt or empower who then we feel like we bring along. And we talked about that, and every week we, we've used these two words that rhyme, and I've tried to get it you know, in your head. The week before that, we talked about why we come and when we run, why we come and when we run, and in fact, some of you, you still have a running problem. When the, when the, the poop hits the fan, you know, the other word, it, when, when things get awkward, when it gets hard, when God isn't answering the, the questions or the, the prayers, when, when uh, it gets vulnerable and you get uncomfortable, you put up the walls or you run. We talked that week that until this idea of running is dealt with, you will always miss the beauty of coming, of coming to Jesus. When he says, come, all you who are weak and weary. So, so dive into these messages, and I'm, I'm excited because this morning I got two more words for you that rhyme. Hopefully you can remember them. But if you are a note taker, all right, this, are so, this is so simple. This is so rudimentary this morning. But if you're taking notes, this is what I want to title the message. It's what I share and what I wear. 
what I share and what I wear. And yes, Pastor Greg pulled the, the cheesiness and decided to uh, do a message on what we share and what we wear on a day where hands down the majority of our city will be wearing something that promotes something. The majority of our city is wearing something that promotes something else. I mean, in, in this, this idea of what I share and what I wear in the kingdom is very clear. I mean, Jesus is like, hey, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You share what you've done. Paul's like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I mean, and we'll get into that. It's so rudiment, rudimentary in our faith that we share things. But it's interesting because our culture has a whole lot attached to what we share and what we wear. In fact, it's important for us to understand the difference between the kingdom's idea of sharing and wearing and the world's. In the world, we like to say, the world will chalk those words up as being something that is based on your personality. Based on your personality. That you share what you share, or how you share, or how much you share, or what you wear. It's based on personality, the world says. I mean, we all know those stoic people. That you're like, they're like a closed book. I can't get to know them, but that's just who they are, right? That's their personality. Or we know the, the girl who's the oversharer. Or maybe some of your, your, your moms or grandmas on Facebook, you're just like, you, you need to calm down. You're oversharing too much. And we're like, but that's just who they are. That's their personality. They share. Or she's just really outgoing. Or he's outgoing, but he also won't, won't be very sharing in, in, in public that he doesn't know. Like if he doesn't know people, he's not going to open up. But if you get in the closed quarters, because that's his personality. And then in our world, style, what we wear, it's all about our personality, right? The world would say what you share and what you wear is very fitting. It's based on you, your personality, your likes. At work, you may wear confidence because that's what your work demands for you to wear there. Or you wear competence. So you have that boss who you're just like, man, they act like they know it all. They're just wearing it, and it's not real. It's not there. They wear. We wear a whole lot. And it's based on our personality, the world says. But can I just tell you, in the kingdom, it's a little bit different than that. If we're going to get practical, the kingdom would say the opposite. The kingdom says that what we wear and what we share is not based off personality. It's based off of our new reality. If you want to take note, write, write new reality down. Because I need you to get that word in your mind. New reality. It's not based off of your personality. It's based off of the new reality. Here's a really cheesy way to explain it. I will tell you this. You will never catch me wearing red on stage. My personality is uh, Greg does not wear tennis shoes on stage. Someone once told me, hey, you can wear a hat. Why don't you wear hats on church? I'm, I don't know. It's just not my personality. It's not my personality. I wear hats like Monday through Saturday. And for some reason, I just, you won't catch me on stage wearing a hat. And I definitely don't wear t-shirts normally on stage. That's not my personality. But we're in a new reality today, Right? Yeah, we are. There's a, the reality is that our city is fighting together, right? And that's a very cheesy way to say this, but you ready? Like, I, I need you to see that, that it goes even more. Some of you need to realize that your personality and your reality, like, the, it doesn't matter if you're an extroverted Christian. It doesn't matter if you are a silent Christian. The, the fact is that we've been ushered into a new reality 
And I like that we always like to say, uh, no, those, they are really good at communicating things. Or that person, she's a natural leader. And I used to teach students a lot. I was a youth pastor for seven years, and I would tell them this. Hey, I need you all to know this. Whether you're the, uh, the band nerd or the outgoing cheerleader or the, one, the football player who is really smart but no one knows it because you keep to yourself. If you have Christ in your heart, I don't care your personality. The reality is you lead people to an understanding of who Jesus is just based off of being in his kingdom. Now, that's a hard thing. Like, think about it. The, the, the high school football player who's a believer yet is leading people in a wrong view of who Jesus is based off his actions. I mean, take it or leave it, like it or hate it. If you're a believer, you lead people into an understanding of who Jesus is. And it's not based off your personality, but your new reality in him. And I wrote this down. Listen to this. Sometimes my personality needs to be stretched by my new reality. I'll explain it this way. Um, there's times when I don't want to be kind. Like, uh, I'm, a, I'm a real person, all right? And sometimes I have a plan in my day with some set lists, a to-do list. And if you get in the way of it, I don't want to be nice to you. I don't. I, I don't want to be nice. If something that, like, I had... Kate, I wish she was in here because she would just be looking at me like, yep, he's, he's an idiot sometimes. Last week, one of our daughter Autumn got hurt and I was in the middle of writing my message and I didn't want to stop what I was doing. She was like, I need you to come home and check to see if she's okay because I need another, another mind. I need another set of eyes and I'm just so annoyed that I have to stop what I'm doing. But my personality needs to be stretched by the new reality that I don't care, Craig, because I'm a new redeemed man, a child of God, and I need to be promoting kindness, patience, hope, grace, peace. It's very interesting. Sometimes our silent friends who are faith friends actually need to not let their personality silence the fact that they've had a new reality change. Does this make sense? Sometimes when you're more boisterous people, you need to be taught a lesson by your new reality and put a hand over your mouth so that someone else's can, voice can be heard. You need to put, a, put a, a hand over your mouth so that you can serve. You see, our personalities sometimes need to be stretched or taught a lesson by our new realities. Hand, hands down, it needs to happen again and again. I was once counseling a man who had committed adultery. His marriage was in shambles, but he wanted to fight for her and they wanted to fight it out. And we were talking in a car ride and he said, she just wants me to be romantic. Greg, I'm not romantic. I'm not romantic. And very bluntly, I had never thought of it this way, but I was very bluntly, I was like, love demands for you to be romantic. I don't care if that's not your personality. The reality is your marriage is failing. And love does not mold to fit me. Love molds me to fit the situation. Hands down, your wife, your new reality is that you are a man with a woman who needs you to love her. So your personality needs to be stretched today by that new reality. Does this make sense? Hands down, this needs to happen. We got to understand it. My personality needs to be stretched and often, the image that we wear sometimes can be very stoic. 
and God's calling you to be gracious. Sometimes the image that you wear can be very happy, and God's calling you to be vulnerable. Does this make sense? Sometimes your personality needs to be stretched by the new reality. Paul says it this way. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He said, I share it without hesitation. We will get into it. To the Corinthian church, he's like, I boast in my weaknesses. Now, some of you could say, well, that's just Paul because he's a bold man. But it was nothing a part of what Paul wanted to do as a Pharisee. He's a background as a Pharisee. Pharisees never shared their problems, their weaknesses. Yet in the Corinthian, to the Corinthian church, he would even take this, I'm not a share of the gospel, and I actually, to the weak, I become weak so that I might win the weak. I boast in my weaknesses, Paul says, that Christ may be glorified in it because that's the gospel and I'm not ashamed of it. And he continues to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And the issue is sometimes we don't share the power because our personality gets in the way of it. Sometimes we don't share the power of God because our personality gets in the way of it. Even the most quietest person in the room is still called to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the the name of the Father. And you're like, no, I... I bring someone that I like to church so that Pastor Greg can make them a disciple. Whoa, that's not my job. My job is to train up the saints to do the work of ministry. And there are some personalities in the room that need to be stretched by the reality that you've been redeemed. You've been saved. You've been new. You've been changed, transformed. I had a weekly men's breakfast this past Wednesday. And yes, this is a shameless plug for all of you men out there. All of you men, if you are um, not busy on a Wednesday morning at 6 a.m., which let's be honest, you're not busy at 6 a.m. No one should be awake, but we are. We're awake and we're at Nisi's restaurant and we're there eating breakfast. And I, this past Wednesday, I, we were reading Hebrews 12 and... I thought of a question that is one of the most cheesiest questions I could ever ask as a pastor. And when I, like when I verbalized it, I, I literally hated the taste of it. I hate like Christianese kind questions, but it came from a genuine heart. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you it and then tell you very quickly where it came from so you don't judge my cheesy question. But I, I asked the guys this question and I, I really meant it. And it sounds like it didn't mean it because of how cheesy it is, but I really meant it. And the question was this, hey guys, how do people know that you're a Christian? And I mean like, how do people know? And I know that sounds so cheesy, but listen, let me explain myself. Put yourself into my shoes. I meet someone and within the first two minutes of a conversation, we exchange names and they almost always ask what I do. Or they almost, like, we exchange names, and then they get word that we moved here. Oh, where did you move from? Arkansas. Why did you move from Arkansas? And in the, in the first two minutes of a conversation, the cat comes out of the bag that I'm, number one, a pastor, and number two, have planted the church. And it just happens. And so, like, I genuinely, I just hit my tooth with the, the mic. I genuinely wanted to know, how do people know that you're a Christian? 
Like I was trying to put myself, like if I was an architect, if I was like a, a, a marketer, like and I, I did marketing, like how would I know, like how would I like slide in that I love Jesus into a conversation and it not be weird? How would I slide in that I, like I go to a church? Hey, do you want to come to church? And, and it's just like, I genuinely wanted to know, like I feel for you guys. <laughs> I mean, we, we have, I have a whole host of things because you see like people start zipping up. You know, like closing up when they hear that I'm a pastor. So I have, you know, it comes with its own hurdles. But genuinely, I wanted to know, how do you let people know that you're a Christian? I think the go-to response is, oh, I hope they can tell by how I act. Can we all just start honest in saying that there are some non-Christians who are nicer people than you sometimes? Yeah, can we also say that there's a whole lot of non-Christians who've created a whole lot of non-profits that do more for poverty than you do? Like, we got to realize that it can't just be by how we act. It says they will know, they will know by the word of our testimony the, the word of our testimony. And so I genuinely wanted to know because like I, I, I've never, like the past 10 plus years, I went to college and everyone asks what, what are you majoring in? It came out because I want to be a pastor. And so then when I was a youth pastor, what do you do? I'm a youth pastor. And then seven years passed and now I'm a pastor. And that really quickly it comes out. And so I never have to say, hey, just so you know, like I'm a Christian. I don't even know how it handled that. Like, how, how do you just, hey, by the way, I love Jesus. Like, I don't know. Like, so genuinely, how do you let people know? I think you need to answer this for yourself. Do the people at your job know that you love Jesus? Do the people at your job know that on Sunday mornings you designate an hour to sometimes, let's be honest, an hour and a half to two hours to a church? Do they know do people know? It's very interesting because it's a real question. And often we think what I share and what I wear, like when it comes to Christianity, like, Greg, I just don't know. You don't know. Like, I, I'm not schooled like you are. I don't know how to share my faith. Like, let's all be honest. Like, sometimes it's, I don't know enough. What if I end up telling the coworker who's an atheist, and it's that one coworker who is an atheist, and, and she knows a whole lot more about the Bible than I do. Well, I don't know enough, Greg, so I, why would I share? I don't know enough. I don't have enough knowledge. And we forget that the Bible simply says that we are to be the word witnesses. Witnesses. I don't know about you, but no one draws a witness to a stand and asks them about what they don't know. A witness goes to the stand to share only one thing, what they've seen. Think about it, what they've seen. A witness shares the story of what they've seen, what they've experienced, what they do know. It's not about what you don't know. It's about simply what you do know. And I think we are so hesitant to share any of it. And so Christ is never known. Because hands down, you do know some things. Hands down, you do know that somehow you're able to sleep with more peace today than you were back then. Somehow you do know that, that you are able to handle some things differently than you used to. Now you do know that when you're in need, your go-to response now is to gravitate to the Lord. And that was not something you knew back then. You are knowing things. You are a witness of things. 
And we forget it. We forget it constantly. We think that we have to know something. We have to know something. So there's this beautiful interaction in the Bible. Beautiful one in John 9. We're about to open up to there. I would challenge you, if you want to read a whole story, some of you have read probably pieces of this story, but never the whole one. I would say out of any miracle of Jesus, which we're about to get into uh, in, the, in the next coming weeks, uh, out of any miracle of Jesus, this is the one where the person who had the miracle happen to them gets so much mention in the Bible. They talk a whole lot. And we don't have the words of other people who, who, were, who were healed or who were redeemed, but this person in John chapter 9, he gets a whole lot of mention. The chapter's long, and it's full of his words. It's really neat. But if you know the story, there's this beautiful moment where Jesus is walking, and his disciples point out to a man who was born blind. Now are we getting it? A man who was born blind, and they say, hey, Jesus, how did he get blind? Did his parents sin, or did he sin instantly as a baby and blind? Like they were curious, did his parents sin and so that's like an effect of their sin or is it his own? How is he blind? And then if you know the classic word, his blindness is so that God may get glory through this. And the disciples are like, okay, that makes no sense. But then if you know the story, Jesus walks up to the man born blind, spits on the dirt, wipes it on his eyes and then tells him to go wash in a nearby pool. Weird. Strange. He spits in the dirt, wipes it on his eyes, and then tells him to go wash it off. And the man realizes when he washes it off that he can see clearly for the first time ever. A miracle happened. A beautiful miracle happened. And it's very beautiful what happens next. Like, I can't even read the whole section, but everyone starts asking, is this the man that was born blind? Hey, are you the man that's born blind? And out of nowhere, he gets this confidence. Now, I don't know what his personality was, but odds are that he was like many outcasts in the day who would wear the weight of their infirmity where they would wear, walk with shame. We don't know how often did this man speak before. Was he more reserved? I don't know his personality because all I know is his new reality. Did you get that? I don't know his personality because the Bible is very clear about his new reality. That is spoken more. And I think if, if I was to look at you, what should be the first thing I see? Your personality or the words that you speak in the life that you live proclaims something different, a new reality. That then, if we can be all, I'll be honest, fuels our personality. Like, God created me like this for a reason. In my likeness, my impulses, he made me. But I, what I do and what I wear and what I, how I act and what I share, it's not based off of what Greg is. It's based off of what God has made me be my new reality in him. And this is beautiful. So the Pharisees, they handle him with such disgust. If you know the story, and we're about to pick up in verse 25. They, they put his life under microscope and are like, but who is this man? If a rabbi healed you, he healed you on the Sabbath, so he must be a sinner. And so they're just asking him all the details. And the man is just a little overwhelmed by all the questions. And he says this in verse 25 so beautifully. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. 
I don't know whether he is a sinner. The one thing I do know, if you can't read this, all I need you to know is this. He says, the one thing I do know is that I was blind and now I see. Like there is such power in that phrase in and of itself. I don't know all the ins and outs of why God allows bad things to happen. I don't know why my mom had to die when she died. I don't know a lot of things. I don't know why you you lost your job. I don't know why God allows so much death to happen and destruction in our world. But one thing I do know is I was hopeless and now I can see. I was alone. And now I feel a love that I've never felt. I was all by myself and I was constantly alone in my sorrow. And I now know what it feels like to be picked up, to be met with grace. One thing I do know is that I was blind and now I see. He was blind, but now I see. And he continues, he says, here's the astonishing thing. You Pharisees, you don't know where he comes from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. We know that he listens to the ones who worship and obey him. And never since the world began has it heard of anyone opening the eyes of a blind person. If this man were not from God, then he could have done nothing. One thing he knows, I was blind and now I can see. He must be God. It must be God. It must be God. I will tell you the most damaging thing that we can do is be so overwhelmed with what we don't know that we are not a witness of what we do know. I get that way a lot. I get overwhelmed by what I don't know or all the fears of tomorrow or or, or what isn't how I wish it was or the things that I'm not comprehending yet. And God just asked me simply, be a witness of all the great and glorious things you do know, you have seen, you have experienced. This is how we share. It's not by what we don't know, but what we do know. And I think we struggle because we wrestle with ourselves. In prep for this message, I reopened a book. If Those of you who love books, uh, this book was written in the 70s. And I still stand by it. Like, she's, she's a baller. The, the author of this book, she's amazing. And so it's called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. And it's what the weirdest, it's the cheesiest thing. I bet, I'm sure it was amazing in the 70s. Uh, the, the, the cover of it is wonderfully cheesy. But this book is amazing. It's all about sharing your faith. And she writes some beautiful things. I didn't realize how much of myself has been shaped by this book when I read it in college, but I read it again this week, and she writes this, that it is the stuff of our humanity, the everyday grit and glory. I need you to remember those, grit and glory, that we all encounter by simply walking out the door each morning, that God uses to shape the holy life in us and to share his holy work through us. You see, you get so overwhelmed of having to know memory verses and having, and yes, God wants his word inside of you. But don't let that be a hurdle. What the beautiful thing is, is there is grit and glory a part of every single day that God uses together to bring his holy work in you and to show his holy work through you. And sometimes we struggle with the grit and the glory. Sometimes we struggle with the grit and the glory. It's not just the good things, but it's the hard things. 
That's the grit part. The, the fact that Jesus spat on a ground, made really muddy water, saliva, and rubbed it on someone's eyes. The grit of his story is that I was an outcast. Heck, even every day I get doubt. People doubt my change was real. People doubt me. They don't even think that I was the blind person. They doubt me. That's the grit of my story. But the glory is I don't care because God has changed me. You see, we all have grit and glory and we close our mouth from sharing it. And what ends up happening is the worst. People don't know that you're a real person. Because grit is what shows that you're a real person. And people don't know that you're redeemed. Because you don't share the glory that shows that you've been redeemed. Does this make sense? We, are so str- we struggle with ourselves. We struggle to share and own any grit of our day. The hardships, the struggles. And so then people look at us and say, they're, they're unattainable. I can't approach them. I don't know. Hello? There we go. They're stoic. There's no grit. They're not human. Or the opposite, we don't show anything different from the glory. And I I just wrote this down. Uh, As we end this morning, I just want to look at Jesus. I mean, when I look at him, he both radically identified with people and then lived radically different. And so today I want you to do something. Radically identify with people. Like it's very easy. We're watching a game. You're going to eat similar food. Radically, he radically identified with people. He was, we can say, approachable. He was very approachable. And all the things he made himself able to be walked out. Can I just say, is your office approachable? Is how you act at work approachable? Do people deem you as a safe place to come? He was approachable. I think it's because he was okay with being gritty. He cried. He was angry. He sweat. He was vulnerable, right? He was vulnerable. People knew that he was human. He bled. He got tired. He got hungry. He, his body ached. His disciples knew the grit of his life, and yet very beautifully, they saw something beautiful in him. Do people know That you are approachable? Do they know that you are vulnerable? Do you share it? But you remember, he he not only radically identified with people, he lived radically different. And this is where I want to press in this morning. We got a whole lot of maybe believers in the room, but can I just press in on this? Jesus was holy. He was holy. What would happen? In fact, I think the average, honestly, I, I struggled because when I say I'm a pastor, now people look at my life. I think what would happen in many of us, I think what would happen is that when you start sharing and wearing faith, when you start wearing the kindness that comes with it, when you start wearing the compassion, the generosity, the the mercy of Christ, what happens is people will start seeing the incongruencies of your life. Now, I need you to hear this. It's going to happen. People are going to be like, you're a Christian? Then why do you mishandle alcohol like that? You're a Christian? Then why do you talk like that? You're a Christian? Why do you treat your money like that? You're a Christian? Why do you treat your spouse like that? You're a Christian? I think that's one of the biggest reasons we struggle with letting people know that we're a follower of Christ is because they will see our incongruencies. They will start seeing that they are, we're not perfect. But can I just press in on this?
That's what you're missing out on by not letting them know. Because something happens on the other side of it. People will start saying, wow, he's a pastor, yet he gets angry at his kids just like I do. I can understand him. They'll start seeing slowly, hey, last year at the Super Bowl party, she got just as hammered as me. But this year, I'm seeing that she's living with a little bit more conviction. And I know she's, I wonder why. Or last year, I I remember the way that they treated each other. But I'm also seeing like he's turning his cheek and, and being humble to his wife. That's different. You see, what happens is, yes, people will call out your incongruencies. Yes, they will notice it. That's the grit of our day. But they will also start seeing that you respond to your incongruencies different than they do. And that's when they see the glory. It's really hard. Because if my life was perfect, people would see the perfect pastor, but they would not see the Savior who's redeemed me. So when I act broken, when I own my mess-ups, when I show that my wife and I, we have struggles, we get angry, we also forgive, then that's when people start seeing that this is real. Because I'm sharing and wearing vulnerability. I wrote something down, and I'm going to end with this. Jesus was two things. He was holy, and he was human. And I wrote this phrase down, and it stuck with me. In all my interactions, I just want to be holy human. I want to be holy human. You fear your humanity, because if people knew that you were a Christian, they would start judging you for your struggles. That's not how the world in the kingdom works. When we start owning our struggles, his light is shining through. So I will boast all the more in my weakness so that his glory may be known. So I want to live today as holy human. I will tell you, you're going to go to a, um, a Super Bowl party today where odds are there will be alcohol. What would it look like for you to be human, be present, but not mishandle it anymore? That you're wholly human. Because there's this element of self-control attached. That you will, you're giving glory to a game, but you're wholly human. Because glory is so much bigger. You're going to give glory to a God. We have to push ourselves in every one of our actions. I want to be wholly human. I want to be human. Let people know that I'm real. But I want to show that I'm fighting this battle of owning Christ's grace in me. That's holiness. Father, right now, as we press into this moment, teach us to be holy human. Holy human. God, there are people in this room who've leaned on their personality for far too long and your reality change of their life being redeemed by you needs to stretch who they think they are. Some people need to tell their coworkers for the first time, hey, I don't, I don't know if you realize this, but the reason you always ask me how I can be so happy, it's not really happiness. I got to tell you, like, I, I'm broken at times, but the reason is because I have a Savior. Jesus, let us share the reality change. Teach us to be both fully 
human, yet engaged in this work of becoming more and more like you, holy. That people would be changed because of it. In your name, for your glory, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.